chapter 10. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here's the bit we're zooming into on today. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Well, good morning, and let me add my voice to the choir in saying, Merry Christmas. Thank you, Mr. Mark Button. I heard you out there somewhere. What a, what a notable voice. When I was um, a young boy, um, we would go to a place called Underberg. It was in the foothills of the Drakensberg Mountains, and my dad built us a small little cottage there, and it was on the edge of a river called the Amzimkula River, an amazing place filled with adventure and horses and mountains and all kinds of beautiful things that I absolutely still love to do. But something interesting would happen was, well, you're familiar with this, that it was a place where there was no electricity, and uh, everybody knows what that feels like. However, there was something even more unique is that, well, we, we had this generator that you would switch on in the evenings and it would power the lights and the lights would sort of grow dimmer and, and brighter as the generator would go. And, um, and there would come a time where basically we would, it would be bedtime. And so we would all make our way to bed and the last person to go to bed would be my dad and he would go outside, I would hear the door open because the generator suddenly got loud through the kitchen door. He would open the door and he would push a button. And I knew that the moment he would push that button and the generator, that he would close the door and the sound of the generator would go quiet again, I knew I had a couple of minutes to fall asleep because it was this lag time between when he pushed off and when the generator actually went off. And that would mean that all the lights in the kitchen that were sort of creating some ability to see while I'm lying on my bed would eventually go off. And the generator would, would hobble for a while, it would go, and I would feel the lights go down. And then it would come back on, boom, and I would hear it go again, and the lights would come back on, and I could see just a little bit around me. And eventually I knew a time was coming. And the problem with me was that I was the only one who would never be asleep by the time the generator went off. I knew my brothers and sisters would be fast asleep. And eventually the generator would go off and it would be silent. If you were lucky, you might hear the wind blowing through the fir trees outside or maybe a dog barking in the far distant places. But besides that, it was pitch darkness. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where you close your eyes and it makes no difference. Whether your eyes are open or closed, you still can't see what's happening in front of you. It is such a disconcerting experience. When I was eight years old, I hated it. 
And I tried to speed up my sleep so that I could fall asleep. But the harder you try to sleep, the harder it is to sleep, right? And I would lie in the dark just hoping I can fall asleep because it was so incredibly dark. This passage that we've been looking at, uh, at that, that Mareka so beautifully read, talks about the fact that Christmas is a story of light. And this is the most unique of the Christmas stories, actually, because this is the story that John tells about Christmas. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, and they all tell stories about mangers and angels and shepherds. And John goes totally differently. He goes, it's a story about darkness and light. I remember lying in my bed, remembering sometimes as I put my head on the pillow and I'd go, yes, I put an extra log on the fire. And that extra log on the fire would flicker down the passage and it would create a little bit of light for me. I remember going, oh, I can see just my hand moving in front of me while I wait to try to fall asleep. I think everybody woke up this morning on Christmas morning and was filled with a sense of awe and joy because it's a beautiful morning to be awake, but all of us are also aware this Christmas that there's darkness, that whether it's inside of us and maybe we wake up this morning and we remember a loved one that isn't with us anymore, or we wake up and and Christmas symbolizes a level of pain, or it reminds us of something that we've been through, or it reminds us of something that we've done that we wish we'd never done or regrets come flooding into our heart. Christmas is an opportunity sometimes for us to see both the light and the darkness and the stark contrast that brings about the, the world that which we live in. Today I want to suggest to you that verse 9 is incredibly significant because it says this, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world was coming into the world. What's the significance of light? Well, to me, significant uh, light was significant because I could see at least just a little bit. But in the Bible times, light was even more significant. In, in the times of Jesus, the light uh, was, was important because nighttime was a terrifying place to be. People, by the time the sun had set, you wanted to be in your house. Wild animals and criminals lived in the darkness. And so there was this sense of get to your home before it gets dark. You see, often in Jesus' telling of, uh, in the stories of the Gospels, the disciples say, it's getting dark. They need to get home. Why? Because it's not safe to be out in Bible times at night. Hey, we've got beautiful street lamps and we've got security and we've got all sorts of things. Makes the nighttime pretty fun. That wasn't the case in these days. The nighttime was a place of discomfort. It was a place of fear. It was a place of the unknown. It was a place of insecurity. And one of the great comforts of the night was when the dawn would arrive, when the sun would rise and you knew it's a safe place again. We're, we're awake. We're in the place of safety. And so when John writes and he talks about the light coming into the darkness, the people would have heard this and said, something of safety, something of life, something of provision, something of goodness is arriving. Light is safety, it's clarity, it reveals the truth of what is out there. In verse 5, it carries on and it says, the light shines in the darkness. This is probably the most personal part for me because I'm aware that even in my own heart, there is darkness. 
You just need to be with me on Thursday evening after six hours of traveling through airports with kids, struggling to find our luggage, struggling to find a taxi, and finding myself walking through the, the parking lot of, um, of, of Cape Town International, beginning to say things that I probably shouldn't be saying to strangers as I'm trying to arrange 16 taxis to come through, and I'm the guy, and I realized afterwards that probably wasn't so smart. I was probably putting myself in a bit of a pickle, and I probably have a level of darkness in myself that sometimes wants to erupt, wants to fix things, wants to sort it out, wants to be in control. The light shines in the darkness, because why? There's darkness inside of us, and there's darkness around us. And so often, I think at Christmas time, we want to look at the sentimental story and a baby in a manger, and we want to see all the good feels, but we forget that into that manger came one who brought light because our hearts are darkened and our world is darkened, and we need someone to bring light. And unfortunately, you cannot generate light on your own. Darkness is dark until light arrives. You need an external source to bring light into a dark place. That's what's happening here in the story of the gospel is that basically God is looking down at humanity and he's going, you can't generate this yourself. As much as you try, you simply can't. There's so many people who think there are solutions. We could sort out the darkness if. And here's some of the things people often think. If we could just educate people. You know, it's just ignorance. If, if the whole world were educated, hey, this wouldn't happen we got a problem with that one, unfortunately. Some of the greatest educated people in the world have committed some of the greatest atrocities in humankind. Education hasn't solved the problem of this broken human heart of ours. It hasn't solved the problem of our inability to love well. Hey, some people say we just need to be more spiritually aware. If we could just, you know, become more kind and, and gentle, you know, that would, that would solve the problem. Hey, we tried that, but, but it doesn't always work, right? You wake up, you, you, you get tough, and you go, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be more spiritually aware. I'm going to be more grateful. And by the end of the day, you've kicked a few cats, and you haven't done what you wish you could have done. It's a problem. There's something inside of us that we can't solve. We can't just drive the darkness out ourselves. Some people go, you know what? It's resources. If we could just spread the wealth, just get everyone to have a little more wealth, this stuff wouldn't be happening. I suggest even that wouldn't solve the problems of our world. I suggest that God knew exactly what he was doing when he came in the form of Jesus Christ and he showed that there is only one light that could push back the darkness. In a little cave-like manger, probably lit by one little oil lamp, deep in the Middle East, a baby was born. To a peasant mother, a teenage girl, stonemason father, far from the powerful houses of the Roman uh, kings and, and, and uh, powers that be. And I think maybe we think, maybe that should have been the end. A boy born in a manger. But that wasn't the end. The story says that as he was born into this, this lowly family, it was him who was coming to show that he resonated with, he connected with, that he loved the lowest of the low, that he cared for the ignorant, that he cared for the unaware. He cared for those who were low on resources, and he himself was the light of the world, and he too right now is the light of the world. Verse 4, it says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I don't know of any one human being who has changed the hearts of humankind quite like Jesus Christ. 
I don't think there ever will be. Because in Jesus Christ, we have the perfect depiction of humility and yet great power. It's in Jesus Christ that we get this incredible love with one who is so powerful. The one who knows us best is the one who loves us the most. That's why he is the light of mankind. Because although he is the king, as Josie prayed last night, he is also with us. He's into us. He's for us. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. Remember lying on my bed in Underberg and feeling that sense of the darkness that could come. And then remembering, this time I put a log on the fire. This time I put a log on the fire and it could flicker all the way down through the passage, through two doors, and into my room would stream enough light for me to feel that sense of comfort. 2,000 years ago, the love of God flickered down into humanity in a light of incredible power. And it breaks into our world. And I suggest today that as we read the scripture, we do just three simple things. Firstly, that we receive Christ's light. It's in Jesus that we have the, the love of God made available to humanity. We don't deserve it, by the way. We can't generate our own light. We haven't been able to. As hard as the, the wisest minds have come to trying to generate their own light, we just can't do it. Today, I would suggest that the only way to receive Christ's light is to simply say, I don't have it. We open our hands and, and, the, and one song says, nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. We realize that we need His grace, that we don't have it in our own strength. I, and I know that many people think, you know, science, science has, has disproved God. It's one of the greatest lies, I think, of our generation is that somehow science has, has worked God out of the picture. And maybe you've been dragged along here to Christmas Day and you don't normally pitch up at church. I want to invite you into a journey at least. I want to invite you into a journey of beginning to question your own doubts, to question the depth of some of your doubts and the, and the things that you have allowed to write God off to write off the story of the gospel. To be honest, some of the greatest minds who begin to, in, with integrity and humility, began to begin to study the story of the gospel. I think most recently of Tom Holland, no, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, the author Tom Holland and historian, who recently began to study the story of the gospel uh, along uh, with the likes of Lee Strobel and others who have come to the point of going, how can I deny this any longer? This is too much and too much evidence for me to just write off the resurrection of Christ. Hey, sometimes we've read a book and we've said, I've read the book. I now can also write off Jesus. Unfortunately, come to the end of our lives, writing off Jesus may not be the answer. It may not be enough to make account for the decisions we made. I want to suggest today that life starts before death. Life starts when we say yes to receiving this life this light. We live in a generation that's all about me. David Brooks calls it the big me culture. We're a culture that looks inwards. Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, ladies mainly, who've probably read this book, uh, she talks about, um, in Eat, Pray, Love, she says, uh, God is manifest through my own voice within myself. God dwells within you as you yourself, exactly the way you are. I'm sorry to say to Elizabeth Gilbert that that just isn't what the Bible teaches us. That isn't what Jesus says. He says, no, the light comes from outside and it comes to give light to our lives. 
It's not inside, but it's from God. He intervened and broke into our lives. So how do you access this light? Do you know how you access it? It's one of the most humbling yet simple things you could ever do. You turn over your heart and you say, Christ, here I am. I want your light. And, and I want to know everything that it means to have your light shine in me. Which leads me to my second point, because once you receive that light and you say yes by faith, you begin a journey of resisting the darkness in your life. We had an interesting moment next, uh, about two days ago. Um, she said, it was about five to six, and she said, load shedding is coming now. And we wait and we wait, and it comes about three minutes past six, and there's still light. Everything's working. So we're going, this is amazing. Anyway, at about four minutes past six, as Nikki's going, I'm telling you, it's coming, it's coming. And there we, the, as she says it, the lights go out, and Nikki goes, oh, I told you. She's so comfortable with load shedding and without light that it became a comfort to her. She's like, oh, sure, my, my beautiful comfort blanket load shedding. It's arrived. Thank you, Eskom. You make me feel so safe. You're so consistent. Sometimes the hang-ups and the habits in our lives become little comfort blankets. And, and the darkness becomes this little thing that we hold on to. Maybe it's the, the pain that's been caused us, and we just live off the resentment of, of what somebody once did to us. And we hold on, and it's our comfort blanket. It's the, it's the habit that we can't imagine living without. It's, we're identified by our disappointment or our disgust or our frustration with another person or people group. And so we live off of that. And the darkness basically lives inside of us. And, and the Bible says, no, accept Christ. Resist the darkness. Learn to be loved and to love. To let the love of Christ in and then to learn to, to forgive. To keep short accounts with those who do you wrong. To learn to, to let go of those hang-ups and those habits that continuously drive you into habits that leave you less, feeling less lovable and less able to love. Resist the darkness. And then finally, Reflect light to others. The final call to us, I think, this Christmas is not just to receive the light, not to just res resist the darkness, but also to reflect light to others. I heard at a wedding I was at on Wednesday night, true wealth lies in the things that money cannot buy. We spent a year, many of us, trying to earn a living, trying to survive, trying to, to do something so that at least this Christmas maybe you can provide something. Maybe some of us have got to Christmas and we haven't been able to provide something. I want to look you in the eyes today and I want to tell you that there is a wealth that money cannot provide and you have it in abundance if you would want to take it. There is a love that comes in Jesus Christ that is far greater than anything you could ever earn through some salary at the end of the month or some dividend or whatever else you could generate for yourself. That is the miracle of Christmas. And if you've got it, the call is to give it away. Words of encouragement, love. Maybe it is your wealth. Maybe it is to learn to become increasingly generous. I think of Sikunye who are basically giving their lives to helping uh, babies in the first thousand days from conception till I think the age of two in just helping parents, mothers, fathers, and children to, be, uh, to set, up, set them up for a life that can actually flourish. Hey, maybe this year we get to put that code on our giving and to say, I'm committed to helping. Maybe it's to actually go away and just invite some people this Christmas who wouldn't normally be there. Reflect light to others. Look at what you've got and then learn to give it. In Jesus' light, we got something that money could never buy. 
Maybe I'm going to ask the band to come up and maybe you can just look at your glow stick if you've got it still in your hands and remind yourself, how did that glow stick begin to glow? It began to glow as it was snapped. One of the wonders of the story of the gospel is that it's not really the Christmas moment that was most significant. One of the most amazing parts of the light that shone into the world was not when Jesus was born, but actually when Jesus was broken on the cross. When his body was broken on our behalf, it was there that the light shone out. Adrian reminded us a few days ago that it's actually, it was in Jesus being broken. As he was being broken, the sky went dark. And for three hours, there was darkness over the land as Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because the light of the world had come. And into that moment, the symbolic moment where Christ was absorbing darkness, he was bringing light, sacrifice. Love, humility, was being brought upon himself. He wasn't born to live, he was born to die, that we might live. As we look at these glow sticks, they're a tiny little illustration, I suppose, of the one who was broken so that we could have light. The one who gave himself that light might shine in our hearts again. That the face of Christ might once again be beautiful, might glow in our own hearts, that we might look at Jesus and go, there's nothing more precious than him. This Christmas, I wonder if you would just consider receiving Christ's light freshly. I'm gonna ask us all to stand, and I'm gonna pray with us. I wanna ask you, whether it's just a reminder, you have received Christ's light, or maybe it's the first time in your life you're saying, I receive his light. You're saying, yes, I'm, I'm not the king of my life. You're the king of my life. You're saying, no, I can't bring light into my own life, but you can. The beauty of knowing Jesus is this gift called prayer, where you simply get to start a relationship with God. You get to talk to the one who made you, who knows you best and loves you most, and he's not put off by the darkness in your heart or mine. If he was... There'd be no space for me, let me promise you that. But he's not. This morning, Jesus comes to us and he says, would you have my light? I wonder if you would just in your own breath say, Jesus, yes, I receive your light. I'd like to follow you. I wanna turn my life over. I need to receive your forgiveness. It was on that cross that you died that I might live. And so I exchange my brokenness and my darkness and I receive your light. For some of us, maybe it's a commitment freshly to Jesus where you say, I'm, I'll commit to investigating you, Jesus, this year, this month, this holiday. I want to know you. I want to doubt my doubts. I want to find out what you like. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank you for your light. We thank you for your love. We choose to resist the darkness. We recognize that there are habits and hang-ups and hurts in our lives that they catch us out all the time. But we thank you that your light has overcome the darkness. And this Christmas, we commit freshly to being a people of generosity, people of love, people who don't look out and wish we had got more this Christmas, but look out and go, how can we give more? 
How can we become increasingly generous just as Christ has been generous to us? As we sing this, Lord Jesus, receive our worship, receive our faith, and receive our gratitude as we look at your amazing light, born in a manger, born that you might die, that we might live again. Let's sing.